it's good to be back with you online. Uh, it might be a surprise to you. We got in very, very uh, late last night. We were uh, obviously on a very long flight. And one of the things that I wanted to share with you is that uh, my intention was to be there to be able to teach. And there was about a two-hour disembarking protocol that we had to go through. And that, in large, deals with uh, people coming from uh, the European countries and the Middle East uh, to fill out some forms and to get temperature checked and so forth, and then to uh, be encouraged uh, to make some distance between ourselves and other people. So we're honoring uh, that particular, it would be probably state and federal mandate right now. Uh, We were delighted to be able to get in as far as uh, the window that uh, we had, because if some of you don't know, uh, Israel did a almost a complete lockdown um, as far as people coming and leaving and where they could be. So we're kind of keeping tabs right now as far as the school goes on that regard. Uh, But that keeps you kind of in the know that uh, there is a a very, um, you know, uh, lawful protocol right now to just keep people in safe places so at any rate i'm going to be teaching today though from the phone and i'm hoping that that could be an encouragement to you my desire was to be there again and just felt i needed to honor the paperwork that we signed our names on yesterday and uh, to be able to encourage you in the faith uh, regardless um let's pray and then I'll share with you where we're going. Lord, we do ask for your blessings today uh, on the assembly. And even as uh, we heard there was uh, an interesting voicing from somebody there, we ask your blessings upon her and whatever is disturbing her. We pray again that for us, we will find encouragement in your word. And we ask your blessings again, even right now, families that are securing themselves, uh, people right now that are endeavoring to just uh, obey the areas of uh, discretion and discernment. And we want to commit the ministry of the youth to you and, and obviously our families right now. Thank you for bringing us together. We pray and do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, guys, if you would, uh, I'm going to be blessed to be able to have your ears for about 25 minutes or so. And you might say that would be a miracle, but that's what my goal is going to be. And uh, I'm going to ask you to turn to Revelation. And uh, I'm going to ask that you go to verse nine, or chapter 19. And I'm going to share with you something that pertains to an area of study that I believe has been an encouragement to, to me in this uh, past month or so. But Revelation... 19 and picking it up in verse 11 gives us a wonderful picture of the Lord in a position that he holds. And you'll see the link here very soon. Beginning of verse 11 says, now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful 
and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So emphasizing again that as something to be encouraged is that he is identifying himself as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he is the one that ultimately has upon his head many crowns. As some of you know, this particular virus is called the Corona virus. And some of you who, who uh, may have uh, heard of that before and others who may not have heard of it might be confused. But it basically means crown. This is a virus that under a microscope looks as if it is wearing many crowns. It's the particular idiosyncrasy of it. And um, the reason that I think that that is important as well as the kind of uh, alarm that it is bringing upon really a a global society right now. And that's the interconnection we have via TV and media. And um, you can see that as a result of that interconnection, as well as the times that we live in, in which we can travel from country to country via ships and planes, it seems to be that uh, when it takes on a different nuance, which it has, then body systems need to get acclimated. And um, what we're seeing right now is a situation in which uh, the fear of this particular virus is greater than what seems to be um, its reality. It, it is actually linked to the common uh, flu. Many of you know that. But it has some distinct differences as well. And one of the stats that has been you know, kind of interesting and has come up recently is, is what, uh, what is the average of, of people that suffer from the flu season, even in the United States? And it, it's about 12,000 people that ultimately succumb to difficulties with just the, what we would call the regular flu. And so right now, even in our country, uh, the stats, at least as far as a couple of days ago, have shown that there's about uh, 40 people in the entire contiguous United States that have succumbed to the uh, challenges of this flu. Point being made right now is we're going to be 
moving back into the scriptures in an area of study in which I want to uh, bring to our attention someone who historically was given a big crown, an empire's crown. And uh, his name, as you might recall, is Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. That's the place where I'm going to actually direct you to go to find encouragement right now on what Daniel had to deal with in a time in which... uh, he dealt with the coronavirus, <laughs> meaning that Nebuchadnezzar at the time of uh, his empire was the fiercest known among men, and his word was law, and his ability to execute uh, non-discretionarily was without question. He was truly one to be feared. His empire stretched all the way from the Mediterranean to the tip of Egypt and throughout all of the Jerusalem area. Uh, There was none fiercer, and there was none at the same time that God was endeavoring to communicate with so passionately. Through the life of Daniel, we see that. So what I'm going to direct you to do right now is to go to the book of Daniel. I'm going to ask you to take a peek very quickly at verse 20 of chapter 1, because I want to kind of set up for you a young man, which is what he is in this particular passage, and then a maturing man. It hasn't deviated from what his heart has been set on doing his entire life in a place that was very difficult ultimately to have to move to when his formative years as a young man were hopefully and promisingly to be lived out in Jerusalem. But in chapter 1, verse 20, it says, And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm." And thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. That closes off chapter 1. And the inference, as you well know, relate to his young friends, spiritually astute young men named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's their Babylonian name. And it closes, though, with giving you this man, Daniel, this young boy's lifespan, when he ends up being a part of King Cyrus's uh, kingdom, he was a part of the Medo-Persian Empire. Daniel is about 83 years of age, and the Lord chooses to give us an idea that from the beginning of this text, which is somewhere around 15 years of age, to the close of it, Daniel's life has been narrated. He's been faithful. He has continued until the first year of King Cyrus. What did he continue in? And there's a clue here. This is what he continued in. In verse 8 of this same chapter, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. 
the key word there is simply the purposing of Daniel's heart that he would follow the directives of commitment to be faithful to the Lord. And in Jewish society, remaining kosher was very important in honoring the Lord. They had moved from Jerusalem. It was a 900-mile trek. We're not even told how they were able to do it. But God enabled them to do it. And Daniel, from the very get-go, with his young friends, studious, intellectual, spirit-filled, had committed that they would not be defiled. And of course, in this closing text, continued until the reign of King Cyrus. What, what an encouragement for us, who as we're traveling, you know, with the Lord, uh, are finding ourselves, you know, having to reapply truth in our lives, to take a position again on those things which please the Lord and and uh, move us away from the defilement of the world that cause in us a provocation of true spirituality. One of the things we see in our times right now is that there is a fear. The question is, is it the fear of the Lord or is it the fear of God? Because of a virus, the coronavirus, it would appear to be that it's just the fear of men. And ultimately, what will become of me if that gets me? And as I've said, the statistics don't prove that, that with this particular outbreak, it's any greater than what has been a part of a normative expectation on this virus. What I want to be able to say that is in chapter 2, there is a wonderful story that unfolds in which Daniel about three years later will be employed to have a stabilizing effect on the fear of a man, Nebuchadnezzar, king, he's crowned, and what he's willing to do with the power and authority that God has given to him, he's in his particular concerns, he's willing to use that power to kill. Daniel's used as a force of reason. And one of the things that I wanted to emphasize here too is that in the purposing of his heart as a young 15-year-old, he now comes into the maturity as an 18 and 19-year-old to bring God closer to Nebuchadnezzar. See, in these times right now, where fear is rampant and people are doing things as a result of fear. Industries are shutting down, borders are shutting down. It's not that containment is wrong, but when containment becomes that which is solely motivated on fear as opposed to faith and hope, and when we're directing it towards an enemy virus as opposed to the king of kings, well, we need to rethink things. Remember, Corona, in essence, is a short variation of coronation. The coronation that we were talking about in Revelation is ultimately what Jesus represents. King of kings, Lord of lords, he gives to one 
authority to rule and govern for a season, he can remove that as well. Nebuchadnezzar is going to find out in this chapter and the ensuing chapters exactly that truth. That being said, I'm going to pick it up right now in verse 2 so you have an idea of this. Now, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled so that his sleep left him. That kind of describes what people are going through today. There's an unrest. They want to rest, but it's not happening. They're distressed about much. They want to have an answer, but they don't know who to seek. Nebuchadnezzar right now is one who will seek everyone but God. However, because there's a godly man, and in fact, three of his friends that are within arm's reach of him, God's going to use those men to bring sensibility and reasonability to Nebuchadnezzar's temperament right now. Here's where we find what the king is going to do in verse 2. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I have a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. And so that's an honest word right now. He has anxiousness within him. And by the way, that's one of the things that is our threat is to have an anxiousness. We're to be anxious for nothing but by prayer and supplication to make known our requests before God. And one of the things that we know about anxiousness, if it's not settled in that truth, it leads ultimately to depression. The thing about depression is that it keeps us from doing what actually is the opposite, which is pressing in to the Lord. And to say to the Lord, Lord, handle me. Handle my situation. I want to give you as Revelation has declared you to be authority over your servant and my life being lived out as one who desires to faithfully execute the things that you put before me. So we see that in this description of him saying that he is anxious he is not finding himself with any sleep and it says that he goes to those who basically are without god in other words they can't counsel him at all we have today people that seek the counsel of politicians we have those that seek the counsel of the movie stars We see those who actually seek the counsel of the stars in occultic practices. And one of the things that we see in that is that it's all futility. There's no answer that can be given to give comfort and encouragement in a season that seems to loom with doubt. And it seems to be provoked by fear. The believer is to do this. And that can be found in... uh, Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it, and they are saved. Babylon had many towers, but the towers literally were used in those times, as even in Jerusalem, the means by which 
the walls could be defended. We saw many of such towers, wonderful examples of defensive and offensive construct to preserve the welfare of a city. But notice this, the Lord isn't asking us to run into a building. He's asking us to basically make haste to run to him. He is our fortress. He is our high tower. He is the one who can wage offense, and he's the one that can protect us in faith by defensive measure. And so as chapter 2 aligns itself right now with secular solution, it's not going to happen in the temperament of King Nebuchadnezzar, or maybe we could call him King Corona, is not going to get better. It says that his servants cannot answer him. They cannot interpret. They cannot project what it was he had a dream about. And his answer to them was simply this. My decision is firm in verse 5. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made in ashes. This is very often the nature of man. We'll resolve it destructively. We will make a decision that will eliminate uh, those who fail in complying to the demand. And so to some degree, we can see that in the political push today. You know, people are so unhappy. They're so on edge. As soon as they account life as everything's going great, all of a sudden there's a turn of events and something goes wrong. A series of events goes wrong. And God brings us back to a sobriety that says, have you checked in with me? I have the answer. King Nebuchadnezzar right now threatens those who he finds to be very valuable, at least in part by their offices, but they actually have nothing to offer the king. And Nebuchadnezzar right now has already told them their fate. If you can't tell me what it was I dreamed, in other words, I have a picture, tell me, and I want to know what that picture means, tell me, you're going to lose your life and your families and your homes. It's going to be nothing. And in verse 11, it says, zip on down there, it is difficult that the king requests this, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. You know, this is very indicative, too, of our society. There, there, are, there are ultimately very difficult decisions that are rendered by people who have power, and it's deadly, even to believers. But notice this, because this is what obviously is happening. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are part of a secular society that's very pagan. They worship many gods. But the decree of the king right now is the fact that those Chaldeans, those magicians, those conjurers, those soothsayers cannot meet the obligation of the king's demand. What we don't see, though, in that decree 
is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as being summoned together with them. And that's an interesting thing, isn't it? And that's very much like our world is today. Everybody gets summoned, but those who most importantly have the words of God to give that render life. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with Daniel were not summoned with those whom they were a part of. They were actually noted as the wise men of Babylon. They were very likely dismissed because of not being experienced in the ways of those who Nebuchadnezzar had called upon. So let me say this. The first seeking of wisdom and of answers should be towards those who have authority in the word of God and those who have the assurance of things that faith tells us concerning what pleases God, the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen, but we know who ultimately framed this world by faith, and that is God. We know who authored the word that is for us, our manual of making it through this life with great confidence. And these are the things that Daniel and his friends knew very well from an early age, purposing in their heart that they would not be defiled and that they would honor God in faithfulness. But they weren't called. And now, though, this decree having gone out involves their demise as well. Rather than getting paranoid, rather than running in fear, verse 14 tells us, then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. You see, Daniel had at some point in time with his friends had made an acquaintance, a trusting, confidential acquaintance with Arioch, who basically was the executioner of King Nebuchadnezzar. And to the degree that he had influence with him, he was able to stay the charge of this drastic decision to kill every wise man. Remember, in this situation, it's clearly saying that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were next in line. And Daniel, rather than fleeing, calling Arioch a name, makes an appeal based on what? A relationship that he has. We have relationships in this world that based on favor that God has given to us, influences what another person does with their power. Ariak may have just been wiping the blood off of his sword. There's indication that actually he had begun slaying the hundreds of soothsayers, magicians, conjurers at that point in time. But not with Daniel, not with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Something about them, which was the Spirit of God mightily working in them, and wisdom that was extraordinary gave Arioch the sensibility to not carry out any further the command of the king, even to the degree of risking his own job. Notice this, in 15, he answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? And then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel in verse 16 went in, asked the king to give him time and he might tell the king the interpretation, 17. Then Daniel went to his house, made the decision known to Hananiah, 
Mishael, Azariah, his companions. Now, these are the Jewish names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All of them had their names changed to comply with pagan culture. God says, even though there seems to be a compliance with pagan culture, and at times there seems to be an intersection with what is contrary to the spiritual requirements of the man and woman of God, I bring you back to your basics. I bring you back to your beginnings. I tell you who you are and how you shall behave and how you shall be acknowledged. And that's a beautiful picture right now. Because all of us at certain points in times can find ourselves mixed up in culture. And God calls us back out in the crises and says, this is who you are. This is how you will behave. These are the words that you will say. You will influence culture and culture will not defile you, nor shall it define you. And so with that, Daniel had the boldness to present himself before the king. When the king is the very person who gave the decree, all of you guys are going to get killed. What gives a young man that kind of confidence? I would simply say this, faithfulness and the things that he had purposed in his heart to do. Daniel and his young companions were men of prayer. Daniel would be noted for this throughout his entire life, up to the age of 84, when even greater revelation would be given to him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the ones who even now have just been identified as Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they would go through a fire in the next chapters in which their faith and their confidence in God would be tested in what they would not do, and that was to bow down to the king, bow down to the culture. Even if it meant their life, they were able to say, even if it's God's will that I die, we die. But we're not going to change who we are because of an edict from a king who is not the king of kings. Jesus in Revelation 19 declares himself to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He comes back with his church on white horses. And by his word, it comes out of his mouth as a sword. Eyes that penetrate like the rays of the sun. He handles the victory all by himself in the last years recorded in Revelation, in which there is warfare on earth, and it is to the opposing force of wickedness known as Antichrist. It's a fascinating parallel. But Daniel says, we need to seek the mercies from God in verse 18 of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. This was his plan. King, we need time to pray. Let us have time to pray and we'll have an answer for you. And so today, fascinating. I don't, many, I don't know many times in, in national history. I know a few, but not as consistently as they ought to be. Our president has declared this Sunday to be a national time of prayer. What a great time to be in prayer in the house of God when there's great despair. 
a great time to make a national proclamation. Not who's going to pay for it, not who's going to die because of it, but let's pray and get in touch with God concerning this matter. Let the churches pray. It's interesting that as a result of this coronation virus, this multi-crowned infection, that one of the mandates now moving across the states is there will not be an assembly of larger unions than 250 people. Guess what? That didn't apply to us. Praise the Lord. What if we were in the thousands? By virtue of that, we would have to say, huh, is the king's edict to be obeyed? Or is my heart to be obeyed concerning what I've purposed in my heart to do? Some may say today, but we're fewer than we were last week. And last week was fewer than the previous week. But remember what God does with the few. In fact, he's so confident in what he can achieve through the few. He even says, hey, if two or three of you meet in my name, asking whatever you will in my name, that I shall do. So though it may seem as though there's a few, God says, but you're the perfect few. You're the army that I need right now to be devoted and directed to prayer in a time of great global crises. Is it truly global crisis? It seems to be in the minds of, of men. It seems to be, but what seems to be is not necessarily how God sees it to be. One of the things that we know is that crises is permitted by God to draw us closer to the cross for it is when the question of life remains in the balance of the doubtful of those who do not have reassurance they get an opportunity to say my life's spiraling out of control i have no reassurance of what ultimately seems to be now the inevitable my demise but daniel shadrach meshach and abednego appealed to the king they appealed to ariok who was ready to slay them and because of the favor of God upon them, they were the voice of reason. We are the voice of reason in a time of unreasonable decisions, unreasonable fear. One virus with multi-crowns adding to itself another crown, another diadem. Who's greater? The coronation virus or the one who indeed has been crowned with many crowns in Revelation 19? Well, Jesus, of course, I know that that's your answer. But notice this, and I want to end here. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. Folks, the times and the seasons is there for him to change. This is good news. This comes out of Daniel's prayer. Because we are people that pray, because we purposed in our heart to remain faithful at it, we can say with sincerity, Lord, you're the one that changes the times and the seasons that we're in right now. You're a God that brings forth the rains during drought. You bring forth food from the earth. You bless us, Lord, according to your grace and your mercy. You heal, Lord, according to the stripes that you took Jesus upon. 
your body. Notice this, he also removes kings and raises up kings. Listen up. The coronavirus masquerades itself as a king. Lord, would you dethrone that king right now? That's on the march, leveling civilizations, provoking anxieties, causing markets to crash. Lord, you're in charge of everything. We desire, Lord, to exalt you in Revelation chapter 19 to come into view in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. Remove these secular kings, these viral kings over bodies of your children, and that you might indeed proclaim yourself to be God of all gods. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Folks, we need to pray for those who in the medical community have been given the gift of science so that a cure can come up. Vaccinations can be freely delivered. God does use medicine. It's interesting because with the advent of vaccination, which took into account many of the plagues prior, and there's only been three notable giant pandemics before, but if some of the many other infections, the Lord has allowed the science of medicine to be a gift to man. And yet one of the things that we've gotten in the arguments are inoculations. That's one of the things that we've found. But he knows how to give understanding and knowledge to those who have that gifting, revealing the deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. Daniel closes simply by saying, I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. The world demands an answer, folks. And Daniel says, Lord, you've made known to me what we asked of you. The world wants answers. We have the answer. We have the truth. We have the peace of God. We have eternity that has not only been established in our hearts, but that which we can direct people to. For eternity has been placed in their hearts as well. In John chapter 16, just for closing encouragement, as I move there, picking it up in verse uh, 33, flipping back to my page. These things I have spoken to you, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He's overcome the worldly crises. He has personally assured you that you will overcome the world, you're going to come through this. You may be indeed required to bunker down. That's what a lot of us are doing, putting social distance at arm's length between us and others. I heard a pastor today 
operating his church that is in the multiple thousands. And he invited any who wanted to come to come. He videotaped it, the rest for those who could listen. But he did say something that was lawful. If you would, as you enjoy assembling together today, please be at six feet of distance. But be heart to heart close in worshiping the Lord together. And so that's what we're doing right now, today. Jesus has overcome. So even though this coronavirus seems to be the final plague, it is not. It is not the last statement that can be made. God makes the last statement. So with the authority that God has given to you and the privilege that you have of praying, I've directed uh, our brothers there today to be able to lead you in praying for this nation, praying for the church, praying for not a one world world, but one world that is under God, submitted to the Lord. We want to pray for the nation of Israel. They've made some really tough decisions. We heard recently that they're actually only going to allow gatherings of 10 for homes. The Bible school that I came from um, operates with about what, 10, about 14, 15. And they said that they're uh, also keeping very tight curfews. I'm not saying anything against their decision right now. What I'm saying is, is that laws are going to be honored. A crisis is what we need to move through. But we also know this, and I know it as a fact. Jesus on two occasions moved through storms in which his men's lives seemingly were at stake. But were they? Nope, he was there. One in which he slept in the bow of a boat that seemingly was frightening these fishermen. I was on that lake. I camped out around that lake. It can whip up a storm. That is for certain. Jesus was at peace in the bow of the boat, at rest, while his disciples were with him in that storm. He quieted the storms down. And he also walked out to them when previously he was up on the mountain praying for them. So may you take advantage in the close of the service today to pray. Pray specifically. Pray according to God's will which is for a country, a nation, the world to come to him, to no longer be ruled and controlled by Satan, a false king. He's only the prince of the power of the air. He has some things that he can do, but he cannot do the things that God alone in his sovereignty is able to do, and that's to deliver all from damnation and difficulties. So thanks for being there today, praying for one another. I'm going to dismiss right now myself. I do have a note, though, really quick before I go, and that is for elementary and high school, public school kids who have an extended school break starting Monday, if you'd like to have a challenge and to take some extra free time to study through the book of John. We'll have some inductive Bible study devotionals for you. So contact us. You can do that via text. I drop a note in the agape box if you want one. We'll get that to you. Right now I'm going to close in my prayer for you. Lord, we ask for your blessings now 
as this word has been delivered that I believe is encouraging for us. And I thank you for touching the lives of every person there, knowing that today they chose to be in a place of great responsibility. And so bless them and keep them and thank you for their faithfulness, Lord, that similitudes with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were noted for wise, discerning, 10 times better than those of their contemporaries in the world system. May that be true of us. In Jesus' name, amen, we pray, amen. God bless you guys. Looking forward to seeing you as soon as we can, okay? Bye-bye.